You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Benson. All right, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to jump right back into 1 Thessalonians. So let's pray together. God, we just once again want to praise you and thank you that you have given us the opportunity to gather together this morning. God, even as we gather on a Sunday, I pray that that would remind us of of why we even gather on this day. That it's a a reminder that your son came back from the dead on Sunday. That he was resurrected to, to new life with a glorified body, which is a picture of the hope that we have as believers. That one day we too will be resurrected, given glorified bodies that are free from sin, free from death that are designed and equipped to spend eternity with you. God, I pray that you would remind us even this morning that we are waiting for Jesus to come back for us, that that's our hope as believers, that this world is passing away and the things that are in it. So God, I pray that you would continue to teach us how to structure our life for eternity. God, that we would live the here and now based on what we know is coming, that we would be very intentional to live for your kingdom, to live for your glory, That we would seek to align our lives with what scripture has to say. God, I pray that you teach us this morning. That you would help us to better understand your word together. The Holy Spirit would teach us today. That you would speak through me this morning. That you would encourage us where we need it. That you would convict us where we need it as well. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, if you'll turn with me back to 1 Thessalonians. We are continuing to... To work on verses 1 through 5. Um, I knew that, I knew this week we were going to have um, several families and people that were going to be out. And so I hesitated moving too quickly forward. But the more I thought about it, even if everybody was here today, I don't think that we want to jump right out of verse 5 right now because I think there's still a lot of a lot of implication and a lot of application that we need to work through. We did that some this morning as we went through our roundtable discussion talking about um, what it means to be in the Word ourselves daily. Like, what does it mean to study the Bible as a Christian? How often should we be doing that? Is it, is it supposed to be a daily thing? Should we feel guilty if we're not studying the Bible daily? Um, and trying to work through some of those issues, and hopefully that was an encouragement. Hopefully we'll continue to wrestle through some of those issues, even as we look into the Word this morning. We'll start reading again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. We've said over the past couple of weeks that that it's important that as a church plant that we share our faith, we share the gospel with others. And we look at how Paul essentially built this church from the ground up, that, that God called him to the Macedonia area, that Paul had intentions of going somewhere else to share the gospel, and through a dream, God communicates to Paul and says, you've got to go to Macedonia because there's people that need to be saved there. So Paul changes his travel plans, he relocates and starts heading to the Macedonia area, 
He goes to Philippi, where the book of Philippians comes from. And then he makes his way to Thessalonica after persecution arose in Philippi. So he makes his way to Thessalonica and he begins to share the gospel. We know at least for three straight Sabbaths from the book of Acts. That he met with these people for three straight Saturdays and shared the gospel with them. We said that he didn't come trying to to make some big elaborate presentation. He didn't argue for the existence of God. He didn't come trying to prove creation over evolution. We said he came to teach Christ. That his message over and over and over again was Christ. Christ has come. Christ is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. He's come back from the dead and he's coming again one day. And so he's, he's passing this message of Christ along to these people. We see people respond, they get saved, and this church begins to grow and expand. We said that this letter is, is being written by Paul as a, as a response to the report that he's gotten about them. And he's encouraged by the work that the, the Holy Spirit's doing in their life. So we said we need to share our faith. We need to share salvation with others. We also said a couple weeks ago that we need to see or recognize salvation in others. Paul was faithful to identify these people and identify the genuineness of their salvation. We said that we need to know when people are being converted. That we need to recognize when someone is responding to the gospel message that we're sharing faithfully. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. Labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I I see sanctification in your life. You guys are becoming more like Christ. He says, your your, your faith is getting worked out. You're, You're laboring at loving others. You're staying steadfast to Christ. You're not wavering from your commitment to Christ. He says, the reason we know this, brothers, loved by God, is that he's chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. He says, we didn't just share the gospel with you. There was a spiritual thing that happened there. The Holy Spirit was present. And the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to the gospel. And and he led you to salvation. He led you to conviction of your sin. It didn't come to you just in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Full conviction. There was a complete turning from sin and a turning to Christ. It wasn't just a two-day event where, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, and then the things of the world came back into their life and they abandoned Christ. These guys really got it. They really understood the gospel. Then it says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And this is the initial aspect of discipleship that Paul unfolds here. We look in verse 6. It says, you became imitators of us. And of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and in Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. We said last week as we began to talk about discipleship that we needed to define that term. What what does it mean to disciple somebody? What is discipleship? I give you the blanks again in your, your notes this week because I want to see if anybody remembers without looking at their notes from last week. Discipleship is the process by which a what? A Christian. Discipleship is the process by which a Christian with a life, with a life worth 
emulating. It's the process by which a Christian that has a life that's worth emulating or copying or imitating commits himself for an extended period of time. To a few individuals who have been won to Christ. Discipleship is the process by which a Christian with a life worth emulating commits himself for an extended period of time to a few individuals who have been won to Christ. The purpose being to aid and guide their growth to maturity. To aid and guide their growth to maturity. And equip them to reproduce themselves. In a third spiritual generation. It's the process by which a Christian with a life worth emulating commits himself for an extended period of time to a few individuals who have been won to Christ. The purpose being to aid and guide their growth to maturity and equip them to reproduce themselves in a third spiritual generation. Sovereign Hope, we want to be the type of church that when a new believer comes in here, becomes a part of our church, that we don't just expect them to figure out how to follow Christ. That we take mature Christians, we pair them up with with younger believers. Those mature Christians teach those younger believers how to follow Christ, not just so that they can follow Christ, but so they can turn around and teach another young believer how to follow Christ as well. We begin this process of multiplication where we're teaching with the purpose of teaching someone else. That the teaching that I give you on Sunday mornings doesn't just stop right here. That it continues to be taught to someone else. It's a process where, where me as a discipler, I'm thinking about not only the person that I'm discipling, but I'm also thinking about the person that I want that person to disciple. How can I teach this person how to teach someone else the things that they're going to need to know about following Christ? We started last week looking at a three-step process of discipleship. A three-step process, and we looked at step step one. It's being a person worth imitating. Be a person worth following. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5, he says, You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Paul says there's a reason that you started imitating us. There's a reason that you started following us. Because we proved to be the type of person that's worth that. We said it's not Paul bragging on himself. It's not Paul struggling with pride. It's just that Paul is faithfully following Christ. And he says, if if you want to follow Christ, then you can come follow me. You can come follow me, and by following me, you're going to be following Christ. He says, come imitate me. In other areas in the New Testament, he says, come imitate me. And by imitating me, you're going to imitate Christ. He says, we prove to be this type of person for your sake. We said that they, specifically, they were men who were living for the gospel. Paul and Silas and Timothy had made a commitment to to live for the gospel. I mean, their whole life was wrapped around expanding the gospel as they're moving into city after city, sharing the gospel, planting churches. 
But their life was also a, a demonstration of what it looks like to be saved, to have a life that's changed by the gospel. And I challenged you guys last week. I said, does your life hinder or does it validate the gospel that you try to share with people? When you share the gospel with someone at work or at school or a family member, do they doubt the effectiveness of the gospel because they look at your life and they say, it's not a whole lot different than mine? Or do they see radical changes that have happened in your life? A whole new direction in life has been embraced by you because of the gospel, because you really believe Jesus is coming back one day. Does your life hinder or validate the gospel? We said that these three men were men who were theologically grounded. I told you that Paul starts off this book basically assuming that these people understand that Jesus is God. And I said that necessitates that Paul has already taught them that Jesus is God. It would be very hard at that time to embrace a man who was walking around just like everybody else, teaching just like many other rabbis were teaching, and embrace this idea that he's actually the creator of everything. And Paul has been teaching them this. They are theologically grounded. We said they were men who were kingdom focused. They were concerned about expanding God's kingdom. I said, what does it mean last week? I, I gave you... Five areas that I think you can personally evaluate in your own life and begin working towards improving and building upon to where you become the type of person that's worth imitating. What does it mean for Luke to be the type of person that if a new believer is saved through the efforts of Sovereign Hope, that we would want to pair them up with Luke and say, okay, Go spend time with Luke. Luke's going to take responsibility for you. He's a person that we feel like is worth imitating. But what does that mean? How do we know if we're worth imitating? And I gave you the five things listed there in your notes. A person worth imitating is someone who knows the gospel. They know what it means to be saved. They know what it means to abandon good works. They know what it means to stop trying to be good enough to get to heaven. They've embraced the good works of Christ. They put their faith and trust in the work of Christ, not only his death on the cross, but also his perfect life, which is necessary for us to get into heaven. But they also understand that, that when you're saved, they understand the gospel in such a way that when you're saved, you're no longer condemned. You're no longer condemned. You, you don't have to beat yourself up daily because of your sin, that your sin's been forgiven. That's a huge concept. We understand. I mean, you guys know, you've been taught since Sunday school, that when you get saved, your past sins are forgiven, your present sins are forgiven, and your future sins are forgiven. But that can be a very hard reality to live in sometimes. That when we live daily and we mess up and we blow it big time and there's some big sin that we commit, we sometimes begin to doubt God's love for us. We begin to doubt the, the security of our salvation. And we fail to realize that it was when we were enemies of God that Jesus died on the cross for us. It's when we were enemies of God that, that God began to move to work towards our salvation. And I've shared with some of my students at school before. You can never be more loved by God than you were when he loved you as an enemy. You can't do anything to earn God's love. You can't do anything to stop God from loving you once you've been adopted into his family because he loved you at your worst already. He loved you when you were a rebel who was born into sin, who hated the things of God. And that's when he loved you. A person who's worth imitating knows the gospel. 
They have a good theological understanding of Jesus. They know who Jesus is. They understand his perfect life, his death, his resurrection. They understand that he's God and man. They understand that he's coming back one day. Number three, believes in sovereignty. That God is working things in our life. If we're his children, we've been promised in Romans 8.28 that he works things for his glory and for our good. I want to follow somebody who's embraced sovereignty for their life. I want to follow somebody so that when tragedy happens in their life, they can show me what it looks like to continue following Christ and trust that it's for our good. That it's for our good. Fourthly, there's a submission to King Jesus. I want to follow somebody who's embraced this idea that they are responsible to be obedient to Jesus. That when we read God's word and we read his commands... That they've been embraced as the best way to live life. That his, that his commands are good for us. And then fifthly, a desire to learn. A desire to learn. You're never going to reach a point where you feel like, I know enough about the Bible. I know enough to where I can teach somebody everything they need to know. You're always going to look at the Bible and say, I don't fully understand everything going on in there. There's still things that I, don't, I haven't worked out. And that's okay. You can disciple somebody and not have all the answers to all their questions. But you have a desire to learn. Which means you're still feeding yourself. You're still progressing in your faith. You haven't settled in and come, become complacent and said, you know what, I'm good where I'm at. I know enough about the Bible now. I can stop trying to learn. I can just stop. No, there's still a desire to learn. There's still a desire to grow. That's kind of where we left off last week, talking about how to show salvation to others, how to disciple. We said the application from last week was that we demonstrate we love his appearing, or we demonstrate that we're longing for Jesus to come back by involving ourselves in discipleship. We demonstrate that we want Jesus to come back because we're consumed with the idea of being the right type of people. And training people to be the right type of people for eternity. When Jesus comes back, we're going to be completely conformed to his image. We're going to be made perfect. There's not going to be any more sin and any more death. And so we start working towards that reality now by fighting sin on a daily basis. Seeking to follow Christ and seeking to teach others how to follow Christ. We're getting ready for what eternity is going to look like. I want to give you today um, just some things to kind of keep in mind. As we're seeking to apply this first step of of being the right type of person to imitate. Next week we're going to look at step two. Actually next week Rob's going to be preaching. Um, In a couple weeks we're going to look at step two uh, of the process of discipleship. But I want to give you a couple things to to keep in mind as we continue to chew on this and, and work through this together. What it means to be the type of person worth imitating. Number one, my worth... In God's eyes. Is not measured or determined by how much I know. Or how effective I am at making disciples. We got to be careful as we seek to be the type of people worth imitating. That we don't view it as a way to increase our worth in God's eyes. You don't study the gospel and try to know the gospel so that Jesus will love you more. 
You don't try to understand a, a good theological understanding of Jesus. You don't try to embrace sovereignty so that you can improve upon your salvation. Jesus has already done everything you need to do to get to heaven. You don't have to worry about how much time to spend in a quiet time on a daily basis to earn God's favor. Your favor in God's eyes has already been earned by Jesus Christ. The quicker you can embrace that reality, the better. That this is not a performance-based religion. Every other religion out there is performance-based. You earn favor in God's eyes by your good works. You earn favor by reading the Bible, by memorizing Scripture, by sharing your faith. You earn God's favor by doing those type of things. You don't do that in Christianity. Your good works get checked at the door. Your performance gets checked at the door. We tell you from day one that it's not good enough, so quit trying. We don't care how good you are when you come in here. It doesn't matter because it's definitely not good enough. It's not a performance-based religion. So as we, try, as we strive to be people that are worth imitating, and as we start to try to get people to follow us and disciple people, we're not earning worth and earning favor in God's eyes. We're not trying to perform to increase our salvation, to improve upon our salvation. I think it's important that we remember that and we constantly remind ourselves of that. Number two, what can I do to improve on the five descriptions listed above? See, this is the reason I don't want to move to step two. Because I recognize not everybody in this room at this point, is worth imitating. That's not a slight against you. That's not, oh, you're in the, the not ready club. Everybody else is in the ready club. But the fact of the matter is, is that you personally probably know I'm not at a point where I'm worth imitating right now. And even those of us that maybe are, we still have a responsibility to improve in these five areas. Because if we're going to ask somebody to come and follow us so that they can follow Christ, we need to constantly be learning, constantly developing. So the five things that we listed above, knowing the gospel, good theological understanding of Jesus, believing in sovereignty, submission to King Jesus, desire to learn. How do we improve upon those things? Let me, let me ask you this question. If, if you want to know or understand more about something, not just what we're talking about, but just in general. If you want to know more about something, if you want to learn, what are the usual processes of how we go about learning something? Google. Google. All right. You said research, which involves, and I, I, I wrote down a couple of things here, which would involve reading. Right? Can we say that if we want to learn something, if we want to better understand something, then it involves us reading. Right? I've I've heard people before say, I hate I hate reading. I just I just don't like it. And that and that's fine. That's fine. But you have to acknowledge the fact that you cannot learn a lot of times without reading. So for some of us we have to get over our lack of desire to read if we're going to learn some of these areas. 
For you to know the gospel and to know a theological understanding of Jesus, to some degree that's going to necessitate some reading that takes place. Some reading is going to have to take place if we're going to improve in some of these areas. For you to know what you need to know to teach someone else, it's going to necessitate some reading. What are some other ways that we learn? Is there another way that we can get into our minds what we need to get without reading? For those of us that maybe just really don't like reading. Listening. Listening. You may really be the type of person that it takes so long for you to even read to comprehend. You're just not good at it. And you you learn way better by listening. I know I give Ben a hard time all the time because... He's always sending me emails about free audio books. And I always tell him, I said, dude, I don't, I don't listen to books. Like, I read books. He's like, oh, I don't like reading. I can't, I can't read. I listen to all my books. So ben, ben has personally found a way to embrace learning, and he gets around the reading aspect of it. He listens. He says, I've got a book constantly going in my truck every time I go to work. I'm, I'm listening to books. I listen to Scripture. So if you're really the type of person that says, I just really don't like reading, it just doesn't work for me. Well, then listening is another way that we can embrace learning. Any other ways that we can, we can learn? By doing or by watching someone else do, right? And that's where the discipleship part comes in. For you to get better at these five things, it's going to necessitate you reading, studying, and listening whether it's reading books, listening to podcasts and other sermons, and watching, watching someone else do it. Because the five things that are listed here are not just knowledge, right? Like, like I want Wesley to know the gospel intellectually, but I also want Wesley to know practically what the gospel looks like on a daily basis. And for him, that means he's going to have to see someone live the gospel out daily. It doesn't just, doesn't just work for us to, to know head knowledge about the gospel or to know head knowledge that, yeah, God works everything for our glory, for his glory and for our good. I'm going to learn a lot about sovereignty the more I know people in this church and how they respond to tragedy. See, Wesley learns a lot more about sovereignty if, if let's say that him and Adam McLeod are meeting for discipleship. And something tragic happens in Adam's life. He loses his job. He's not sure how he's going to pay for, for his bills and stuff. And yet Adam and Wesley are still meeting up and they're hanging out and they're talking. And, and Adam's conveying to Wesley, hey, I lost my job. I'm not really sure how I'm going to pay my bills and stuff. But then he's able to, to, to show him how that, that the trust and the fact that God's working things for, for good in his life is not wavering there. You know, Wesley, I've lost my job. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills, but... You know, I'm so thankful for God's sovereignty in my life right now. That as an adopted child of God, I know that God has a plan for my family. I know that God's going to provide for my family. I'm just anxious to see what that's going to look like. I'm waiting to see what God's going to do here because he's going to do something. Because he's promised me I'm his child and that he's working things in my life for my good. See, Wesley can read a book about sovereignty, but then he's going to learn even more about seeing someone who's embraced sovereignty living that out. So for some of us, if, if you're looking at this saying, I'm not, I can't tell you right now that these five things are where they need to be in my life for me to be worth imitating, well then it's your responsibility to figure out how are you going to get those five things up to par. Do you need to be reading, listening, or watching? 
And how's that going to look for you to get to where you need to be? How are you going to improve in these areas? That's how we apply what we learned last week. Number three, which is basically what I just said. Do you have a learning plan? Do I have a learning plan that will allow me to be a type of person worth imitating? First Peter 2, 2. So it's like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Peter says as believers, we should, we should crave, we should crave the word of God. Why? Because we need it if we're going to grow up in our salvation. We grow in our salvation through the word of God. The word of God is what feeds us. And provides the nutrition that we need to grow up in our salvation. That's what Peter's saying in 1 Peter 2 too. Do you have a learning plan that will allow you to be the type of person worth imitating? Now this is where I want to transition back to what we were talking about this morning in our roundtable discussion. I challenge you and I said, how much time or what is a fair or right or biblical expectation... For how much time a Christian should be in the Word? Is it right or wrong? Or is it okay or wrong if a Christian is not in the Word daily? Have we created an unhealthy expectation where we've said that Christians need to be in the Word daily for an hour or for two hours? And if you're not having a two-hour quiet time, then you're just not cutting it. You haven't figured out time management good enough. Because you've got two hours you can spare to be in the Word. Is that a fair expectation? You know, and I, I think we had good dialogue about that this morning. That for some of us, that's just not possible right now. For those of us that are raising kids and have marriage relationships that we're striving to, um, to make godly and to invest in the way that we've been called to. But for some of us, two hours a day is just not feasible right now. And we talked about how we shouldn't feel guilty if we don't measure up to a standard that's not in Scripture. We're not told in Scripture how much time we should be in the Word. We're told to crave it like newborn babies. The psalmist says we should meditate on the Word day and night. But that by no means means that our quiet time is supposed to last all day and all night. For, some, for, for all of us, that's impossible. For our quiet time to last all day and all night. Let me share with you... Where, where I'm at with spending time in the Word and, and how I faithfully crave God's Word without killing myself with my daily schedule. And how I've been able to escape a lot of guilt and feelings of condemnation for not necessarily spending two hours a day in the Word. For me personally, this is what, this is what my week usually looks like. Um, I'll confess to you that there are days that, that go by that, that I don't actually open the Bible. I'm okay with telling you as your pastor that there are days that I do not actually open the Bible and, and study it and read it. Okay? And I'm not saying that and confessing to you that I need to get to the point to where I do. A lot of times you'll hear pastors say, I don't spend as much time in the Word as I should, but I'm still trying to get there. 
I'm telling you that I don't, and I'm okay with that, and I'm not working to try to fix that. Okay? Because here's what my week looks like. Okay? I'm personally studying right now 1 Thessalonians. That's, that's what I'm studying. That's why I'm teaching that to you on Sunday mornings. I'm in the camp, and I told you there's two camps. I'm in the camp that as a pastor, I'm going to teach you what I'm studying. I'm not going to teach you something and then try to study something extra for myself. I don't have time to do that. I want to invest all the time that I have to feast on God's word into something that I'm then going to turn around and teach you. Because I think that's the best method. I want you as disciplers to be studying the word and then turning around and teaching that to somebody. I don't want you teaching your disciples something and then also having to come up with another set time in your schedule to study the Bible in addition to that. Here's what my week looks like. I'm studying 1 Thessalonians. Some days I'm in the Word, and I've actually got the Word open, and I'm reading through it, and I'm studying it, and I'm writing down stuff, and, and I'm looking up stuff that, that it kind of sparks in my mind. I'll look stuff up on the Internet. I'll try to find what, what so-and-so pastor says about it or what this pastor says about it because it's kind of created some questions in my mind. There's days when I've got commentaries open all over my desk, and I'm just reading commentaries and looking at that. That probably happens two, maybe three times a week. The other days when I'm not opening my Bible, all I'm thinking about is 1 Thessalonians, whatever verse I'm in. My Bible's not open to it, but I guarantee you, every morning that I get up, I leave Griffin at... 6.45 is when I'm supposed to leave. Sometimes it's like 6.50, 6.53. Um, I've got to be at school by 7.30. All right? So we've got to go to Sharpsburg from Griffin. i got about 40 minutes. Most every 40 minutes in the morning is me thinking about what I've been reading on a separate day. Just kind of chewing on it. Just thinking about it. How am I going to embrace this for me? And then how in the world am I going to teach this on Sunday morning so that these people who haven't spent time studying it, haven't been reading what I've been reading, how am I going to reteach this to them to where they get it as passionately as I'm getting it? And so I'll just think about it. I love deer hunting season because it provides me an opportunity to get away from everything and just go sit and I keep chewing on what I've been studying. I just keep chewing on it. See, I'm going to only study one to two verses a week. And I'm going to think about it all week long. Some people try to do three, four verses a day. I'm like what Jason said. I need more time. I'm not getting it after looking at a verse for one day. I need a whole week at minimum. For 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 5, we've been in here for five or six weeks now. And we're still not done. Because I'm not done learning from it. Now, I'm at the point right now, I don't have to open my Bible to know what 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 5 says. Like, I know what it says. I've read it so many times over the past five, six weeks that I don't have to sit down. I don't have to sit down and open my Bible to be in the Word. Does that make sense? I can meditate on the Word day and night without actually having to open my Word. Now, I've already told you, I spend time during the week in the Word Physically opening it up. And Jason mentioned something this morning. It's a difference between quality and quantity. When I'm in the Word and the Bible is open and I've got commentaries and stuff, 
It's intense. Like it's real quality time. I'm just filling my head. Holy Spirit's teaching me, convicting me, encouraging me. I'm amazed that the more that, that the Holy Spirit matures me in Scripture, how little I have to go to commentary sometimes. That the Holy Spirit is just teaching me and challenging me. And I'm just writing down stuff in my journal and I'm like, man, that is so good. Like, man, i got to learn that. i got to teach that. And just journaling about it. And then I might go two days without not sitting back down at my journal and my Bible. But for those two days, I'm just chewing on it. I'm just thinking about it. When I've got a spare minute, when, when I'm in my car, I'm just thinking about it. And I'm meditating on it. And we, we said this morning, early Christian believers didn't have Bibles and, and study Bibles to sit down and study for two hours. They didn't have commentary. So it's wrong for us to assume that a Christian has to do a quiet time in the way that a lot of times we think about quiet times. In the New Testament, believers didn't have that opportunity. There are believers today that do not have that opportunity. There are people around the world who do not have Scripture in their language to sit down and study it. They rely on being taught Scripture and then having to meditate on it, what they heard. They can't sit down and study it. So what I want you to understand, and I'm not telling you that you shouldn't be in the Word every day. I think for some of you, your schedules allow that. For some of you, maybe your learning ability allows for that. I'm telling you from from me as your pastor that God has freed me from a lot of guilt of feeling like I've got to sit down and check this off my to-do list. That if I haven't spent time physically opening a Bible and reading verses, that I haven't done my Christian duty for the day. But what I am telling you is that my expectation for meditating on the Word day and night has not decreased just because I'm not in the Word physically. I meditate on the Word day and night. The Word is central in my life. Topi mentioned it. If, if we're going to fill our head or be exposed to this world's teaching so much during the day, then we have to combat it with the Word. We can't sit down and be on the Internet all day and then come home and watch TV all night, be exposed to the morals and the the lifestyle and the belief system of this world and not expect to be affected by it if we're not combating it with the word. But we can combat the word without having to, or we can combat that with the word without having to keep some standard that's that's almost impossible with our busy schedules. You can meditate on the word day and night. You can feast on the word. You can crave it. And I can tell you right now, I love the Word and I love to learn. I love learning about Christ and the Gospel. Anytime, Lauren knows this, anytime a new book comes out that, that is on the Gospel or something that I'm learning about, I'm just ordering it from Amazon. Like I have a problem sometimes. Like Lauren will say, there's another package here that just came in from Amazon. And I'm like, yeah, I think it's going to be a really good book. I'm telling you, like if, if, if an author comes out with a book that, that's on the Gospel i got to know what they're saying about the gospel. I certainly haven't graduated from the gospel. I just recently bought a book called Gospel. John, rec- John Wallace recommended it to me, and I said, I'm buying that. Like, that's, that's got to be good. Like, it's on the gospel, and I need to know more about the gospel. I love to learn. I think you personally have a responsibility to, to evaluate your life and say, am I being faithful to learn? That's the key. It's not... 
Adam Long, are you studying the Bible two hours a day every day, including Sunday, even though you went to church? You definitely need to be in the Word that day, too, on your own. That's not my expectation for Adam Long. What I do desire for every one of you is that you can evaluate your life and say, I'm learning. I am being faithful to learn about Christ. I've evaluated my time schedule, and I am being faithful to learn. Realizing that the more time you spend in the Word, obviously the faster you are going to grow. You're going to grow, obviously, faster the more time you spend in the Word. But you have a responsibility to evaluate, are you being faithful to learn? Which leads us to number four. We will reproduce ourselves whether we like it or not. I will reproduce myself whether I like it or not. Let's strive to be worth imitating. Well, here's the thing, is that you got to spend time with people and you're going to reproduce yourself. People are always watching you. Younger believers are going to watch you and follow you whether you strive to disciple them or not. I mean, if a new believer comes in here and, and we're not intentional about discipleship, they're going to learn how to follow Christ from us. It may not be a good learning, but we are going to reproduce ourselves whether we like it or not. We need, to, we need to be responsible to be the type of thing that we want to reproduce. We've got to make sure that we're striving to be worth reproducing in. We invest in others so they can invest those same things in others. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2, we've looked at before. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We want to reproduce ourselves in people so that they can then in turn turn around and reproduce others. Number five, we need to be complete people that others can follow. We need to be complete people. You you need to be the type of person that, as a whole, you're worth following and imitating. There's been people in the past that that I've kind of looked at and examined and said, you know, I could probably learn this aspect of following Christ from them, but there's definitely other things about them that I'm not going to want to imitate and reproduce and follow. We need to strive to be the type of people that are complete people where we're worth following every aspect of our life. In um, Philippians 3.17, Philippians 3.17 says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Jessica mentioned on the city this week, she said, it kind of terrifies me to know that that in asking someone to follow me, that I've got to be teaching them how to follow Christ just in who I am. I mean, think about what Paul's saying here. Paul says, keep your eyes on me because I am submitted to Christ. That's a big responsibility. A lot of us will say, you need to follow Christ. You need to follow Christ. You need to follow Christ. Don't necessarily do as I do, but definitely do what Christ says to do. Paul had gotten so serious about discipleship and, and, and investing in others, that he had, he had become the type of person. He had taken these five things seriously. He knew the gospel. He'd embraced sovereignty. 
to where he could say, hey, come follow me. Keep your eyes on me. I'm going to get you to Christ because that's where I'm going. You see how that is? It's not saying, look at me, I'm so perfect. You should come and imitate me because I'm almost Christ. It's not that you're Christ-like, so come follow me. It's, hey, did you want to be like Christ? Because that's, that's where I'm going to. So you can come follow me, and, and, and we'll, just, we'll go there together. We'll go there together. I'm not perfect. I'm going to mess up. But this is where I'm going. I'm going to Christ. I'm going to be like Christ. So if you want to be like Christ, I've made that commitment. You can come follow me, and we'll make that commitment together. We'll get to Christ together. That's what Paul had done. He said, come follow me. 2 Timothy 3, this is where I get the idea of being complete people. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10, he says, he's talking to Timothy. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, Paul says, all these things about me are worth imitating because they've all been shaped by the gospel. He says, you, 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 you have embraced my teaching or my doctrine. My doctrine is faithful to the word. I've studied the word and I'm passing on truth to you. My conduct is lined up by the gospel. My, my doctrine shapes the way that I live. So not only am I teaching you what you need to know, I'm living the way that you should live. My aim in life. My purpose in life is worth imitating. He says, I'm waiting on Jesus to come back. I'm trying to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And and I'm doing everything that I can to get this gospel to go out. My aim in life, Timothy, is worth following, Paul says. My faith. My faith in the work of Jesus and not my good works. My patience. My love for others. My steadfastness through my persecutions. My sufferings. Paul had had lived the type of life that he could tell Timothy, come follow me in all aspects of my life. I'm I'm not keeping anything hidden. I'm not keeping any aspect of my life separated from the gospel. I want the gospel to shape everything about my life so that you can follow me confidently, Timothy. Number six, we strive to become... High standard people for the sake of others. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. He says, I want to be this type of person so that you can follow me confidently. So that you can follow me confidently. We make choices not only for our sanctification, but for the sanctification of others as well. I would encourage you to read, if you want to jot this down in the column, read 1 Corinthians 8, chapter 8 and chapter 9. First Corinthians eight and nine. In those two passages, Paul talks about the fact that he makes choices about his life for the sake of others. He says, I give up things in this life because I know people are watching me and following me and I want them to do the right thing. So there's things that I keep myself away from because I don't want to cause someone else to stumble. He says, I'm becoming a high standard type of person, a complete type of person, so that people like Timothy can follow me. And I'm taking extra care 
That there's nothing in my life that would cause these people to stumble. I give up things that aren't really that important so that somebody doesn't stumble when they follow me. Number seven. Discipling others will grow you just as much as it will grow others. Discipling others will grow you just as much as it will grow others. I've shared with some of you before. I have grown the most in my sanctification since I came to Mount Gilead and now here to Sovereign Hope because I have had to regularly teach people. The bulk, the the major aspect of, of what I know about Christ and the gospel and about this Bible has happened, honestly, within the last five years. There's something that happens when you know that you're responsible to teach somebody else. It makes you feel like, i got to really know this. You know, it's one thing to sit down and look at a verse and say, i got to wrestle with what that means for me. But if you know that you're meeting with someone pretty soon and you're supposed to explain that verse to them, whoa, I mean, that really makes it, i got to know what this means. They're going to ask me questions. And I need to know the answers to those questions when they ask me these questions. You will find that when you begin to to disciple somebody, when you begin to teach somebody the things that the Bible has to say, you'll grow just as much, if not more, than they will. There's a a pressure that gets applied to you to know what the Word says so that you can teach it to somebody. And when they do ask you questions that you don't know, like Jason was talking about this morning, it makes you go and find those answers. It puts the burden of responsibility on you. When a new believer looks at you and says, Portland, I don't understand.